Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Today we are going to be talking about an increasingly but forever important topic, the future of fertility. Uh, Jody Newhauser, welcome to Future of XYZ. Thanks, Lisa. I'm so excited to share some thoughts on where we're going in this very cool and exciting and important industry. It's a, it's essential, and you obviously have a long and strong background uh, in fem, femtech, we'll call it, um, and you are now the CEO of Ovaterra, which I believe is the first ever anywhere uh, intelligent fertility platform really focused both on nutraceuticals as well as education and other CPG products uh, that impact fertility. That's us. Yes, that's me. It's great. And um, I graduated of University of Virginia, as well as NYU Stern School of Business. I believe that you grew up on a farm. And now you're also a, an Ironman triathlete. So this is a pretty fascinating storyline of a of a human life. I'm, I'm curious how you've ended up in the fertility space. Yeah, so the Ironman triathlete actually plays a large role in my fertility journey and in my fertility space. And I really started digging into all the systems of my body um, when I was training for the Ironman. So it's, it was really the first point when I realized everything has to be working and firing on all cylinders, uh, obviously, in order to be able to survive um, an Ironman. And it was really frustrating to me because I had a nutritionist, I had a coach, I had a, you know, a, an Ironman coach. Um, I started seeing a functional medicine doctor because at the same time, I was also looking to freeze my eggs. I was living in New York and hadn't met a partner yet and wanted to have the option to potentially be a, mo a mom, mom someday. And what was starting to be really frustrating to me was that none of these dots were connected and nobody was really looking at my fertility as, a, you know, from a systems biology approach, you know, how are all of these things working together? And so I think that's when I really started digging into research and reading and um, looking at kind of what was happening out there in the world and, and what changes did I really need to start to make to my body ahead of egg freezing in order to put myself in the best um, shape possible. So accidentally landed in the fertility space, um, went to freeze my eggs in South Africa, ended up meeting my husband on that trip. And uh, we now have a beautiful baby girl who's about 18 months old. Wow, that's a phenomenal story and, 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 and quite cool, I have to say. Um, I, I think I want to come back to because it's, it's so interesting to me how candidly you are here able to tell an audience in, you know, the virtual realm of podcasts and videocasts about an egg freezing operation. I mean, in honesty, even a few years ago, it feels like fertility conversation was not in the, certainly not on the main stage, um, but even perhaps a bit taboo. To what do you attribute, you know, this, this incredible shift uh, and, a, and, and, and growth in consciousness? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the I joke with my husband that actually the reason we are married is because I showed up to our first date. I it was the night of my trigger shot of my egg freezing. I forgot my trigger shot. I left it in my hotel room and I showed up. I had two sips of my beer and I just had this verbal kind of I call it a vomit of authenticity um, where I just shared everything that was going on. I'm here. I'm freezing my eggs. Here's why I'm doing it. And and I think it was that really kind of authenticness that he was really drawn to um, so immediately on our first date. So I think the personally, um, from an authentic standpoint, just encouraging women to tell their authentic story and reach out and grab support in any way, um, in any way that they can is really important. But in terms of, you know, generally, why, why are we talking about this now? I think I really started to notice a shift in 2012 when ASRM uh, which is our industry, fertility industry body, um, they declared egg freezing non-experimental. So about two years later, uh, there was a company started by um, Gina Bartazzi called Progeny. They started providing um, fertility benefits to large companies like Google, Apple, Facebook, Spotify. And in around 2014, those companies started covering egg freezing. And that really, even amongst my peer sets, started lots of conversations of women. Hey, I think I'm going to freeze my eggs. You know, we're all single. We haven't met anybody in New York or LA or San Fran. Um, we were all focused on our careers and it kind of became everyone's doing it. You know, I'm like, oh, well, all my friends are doing it. I might as well freeze my eggs. And, and, and I just think to interject quickly, when you talk about yeah. that, I mean, the fact that it was covered now, it was, of course, the elite tech companies that who were yeah. doing this at first, and it, we still have a long way to go on that front. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But I mean, it is a, almost a $20,000 process in the United States, you know, and I, and I can speak to that myself, you know, um, plus then you have storage fees for every year that you're not using these. And that's only if you're freezing egg versus embryo. So, I mean, the fact that it was covered and then the fact that people started taking advantage of that is a really interesting um, conversation because it, it, it was not accessible before. It's, it's huge. So exactly. It was, it's, and the fact that it was non-experimental. So I think for a long time, it was considered experimental. It was really only used for um, cases where a woman might have had uh, cancer or some other, um, you know, chronic issue affecting her fertility. And it really just became open to a lot more people. And around the same time, we had the Supreme Court ruling, which made same-sex marriage legal in the United States. And I think that gave the, it kind of opened the door for a lot of same-sex couples to start to think about, actually, now I have legal rights to be parents federally, right? Every state had been different kind of before then. And so you really had this, this kind of overflow of millenn the millennial generation getting older and coming into parents. You had some scientific changes in that, you know, egg freezing was declared non-experimental. You had coverage starting to come from some of the big tech companies, which then started conversations amongst a group of women. Um, and then you have, you know, this inclusive opportunity for, for same-sex couples to also start to think about fertility treatment. And like you said, we have a long way to go in access to care. And that's one of my passions, but um, we had to start somewhere. I, I, it's, it's great. And I, I think one of the things that I, I just want to talk to is like that, you know, there are many factors that go into fertility. And so far, we've really kind of concentrated because egg freezing has opened up the conversation. But fertility mm -hmm. is not only a women's issue, of course. Um, and we're finally beginning to speak about this in this crazy messed up world that we live in that, you know, puts all the onus on women. Um, but in terms of kind of the factors that need to be considered, you you spoke before as an Ironman, like what are the best conditions to put your body in, in order to be able to do this egg retrieval. But in general, what are some of the factors in fertility or in infertility that we as a, as a world need to be thinking about? 
Yeah, I mean, I think fertility is one of the only decisions that pretty much everyone on the planet will face in one form or the other. You're either pregnant because you don't want to be or not pregnant and you want to be and do I want to have a kid or do I not want to have kids? Do I want to have a family? Do I not? Um, and so I think what's interesting is we have spent billions as a generation, four generations, teaching um, families how to get, how to not get pregnant. Um, and now we actually are in this void of fertility literacy where you have people waiting later to, to have their children. We know that 20% of the population has their first child now after the age of 35, which is where it's just scientifically naturally harder to get pregnant. And so then you start at 35, you're already behind the eight ball in terms of um, you know, your, your scientific numbers compared to everybody else. And you're going, where do I start? How do I, you know, how do I figure this out? So if we you know, think about what are the factors we need to consider, I always tell um, both women and men to think about what are your fertility goals? You know, do you wanna have kids? Do you wanna have the option to have kids? And the earlier you can think about that, the better, um, even in your twenties. Uh, for women, when did your mom go through menopause? Uh, that's a, a large factor in when you will likely go through menopause and, and at what age. Um, what is your baseline? So, you know, I will tell my daughter when she goes in at 18 to her first OBGYN appointment or even earlier, um, let's get an AMH test. And that just gives us a baseline of kind of where your ovarian reserve is. It's not a perfect indicator at all, uh, but at least it is an indicator because we know that 10% of the population have premature ovarian aging. So, you know, what does all of this information together start to tell me about my fertility plan? And it's just, it's not a conversation we're having early enough in the United States. I think that's really interesting. And, and you just you just said something that I want to touch on and then come back to some more technical questions about fertility. But you said in the United States, you went to South Africa, for instance, to, to do your own egg freezing. How is the conversation around fertility different in the US or the Western slash developed world versus everywhere else? Like it, there must be major cultural influences as well as governmental regulatory influences, healthcare, medic, whatever. How is it different in the US versus elsewhere? A hundred percent, it's so different. So I think for, for us, I would give us a C, maybe a C minus um, as, as a country. Um, I think thankfully we do live in a country where women do have access to treatment, uh, although, you know, our couples and there are, it's only a few and it's only a select few and it's only available to certain um, systemic and geographical and, and financial groups of people. Um, but we do have access to it. And I think, you know, in some countries it's illegal, in some countries uh, for certain groups of people, say LGBT, single parents, for example, France in June of last year, um, France finally legalized IVF for uh, same-sex couples and single parents um, just in June of 2021. So Germany, for example, egg donation is still illegal. Um, a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, there's a lot of cultural challenges um, where you might be able to access IVF and reproductive care. Uh, there's certainly no cultural support or very little cultural or familial support to, to go through that. So, you know, in the U.S., it, it is still very taboo. Um, I think it is still a topic we're not talking enough about um, in, in employers um, or with employers. I think the impact of people going through fertility treatment while they're still also trying to hold down a job is just not talked about and, and a conversation that I'm also very passionate about having. But, you know, we know that infertility affects one in four African-Americans and one in six couples, one in six couples generally. So, you know, it, the thing about being a co-founder of a fertility company and the CEO of a fertility company is that it gives people permission to immediately tell me their story. Yeah. And so I go literally every single day, I have conversations with people, people who say to me, I've never told anybody this, but... 
I went through IVF or I went through egg freezing or I, I have a, a fertility journey that I haven't even shared with my family. Yeah. Um, and, and, and keeping those conversations in and down have so many consequences for us. I mean, it's, it, it raises another interesting point. And as we move forward and this becomes less, less and less taboo, as also, you know, the numbers are increasing, how is the role of community kind of seen? I mean, whether you're talking about celebrities talking about it more openly and that kind of opening the stage gates, but also, you know, online forums, your local communities, like, as you said, you know, more and more women are having children over the age of 35. Like, how do you find the role of community, especially going forward in the conversation around the future of fertility? Yeah, so I think communities are, they're you know, overwhelmingly positive in terms of from a mental health perspective. Um, having that support community is really important. I do think communities sometimes though um, can have a negative health component. I think systemically women and couples in particular in the United States face major challenges in trying to get pregnant. You know, you have 15 minutes to talk to your OBGYN and she's got to get your, she or he has to get your annual exam in um, at that period of, you know, in that period of time too. So there's not a lot of time to get guidance from experts. And so what a lot of couples are doing are turning to online, particularly online communities and online forums to almost crowdsource their medical care. And, you know, there's a positive part of that, but then there's also a very negative part of that because, you know, sometimes I don't know about sharing all of your lab details to, you know, to your Facebook group and having people tell you, um, you know, how to make medical decisions off of that. So I think there's, there's certainly, to me, that's what showed me as an entrepreneur that there's a gap in the system and an opportunity to really um, make a difference here. And I think, you know, if I think about celebrities, um, I would argue that celebrities are actually a very negative influence in fertility. Um, I, I am glad we are seeing a lot more fertility or a lot more celebrities talk about their fertility journey and their fertility struggles. You know, I think you see Amy Poehler and Aaron Andrews and um, others that are being very vocal about what they're going through. Um, but then you have other celebrities who, you know, are getting pregnant at 45 and 50 years old and having kids and not being, not feeling um, comfortable enough to be honest about their journey. And we know that a lot of those celebrities or most of those celebrities, most likely just based on the scientific numbers had to go through um, an egg donor, for example. And by not sharing that with their, their overarching community, um, we do see a lot of women in clinics uh, that we work with and, and clinics that my co-founder owns coming in at you know, 47, 48, 49 and expecting to get pregnant naturally. And that's just usually not the case. That's, that's interesting. I would never, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but I, I would never have thought about that. You know, it's again, another of these like kind of like fame and fortune, you know, biases that we, we, we amplify here. I mean, mm -hmm. there has been a lot, a lot of movement on the science and tech side right? In the mm -hmm. last number of years. How did, what, like, what gets you most excited on, on, on that portion of things in, in terms of fertility right now? Yeah, I, it is the best time to be an entrepreneur, especially a female entrepreneur in the fertility space. There are so many amazing companies out there that are solving some really important um, problems. And I think a lot, uh, a lot of the fertility advancements and a lot of the fertility innovation up until now has been done in the clinic. So, you know, that IVF and kind of afterward journey, which actually really only impacts about 10% of the people in the United States who actually need it. So only about 10% of the people who need assistant, reprodu assisted reproductive care 
um, have access to a fertility clinic or use a fertility clinic. So you're concentrating a lot of the in innovation on a very small group of people um, and a very elite group of people. And so a lot of that innovation has been storage technology, using AI to select embryos and things like that. And I think what we're starting to see now is a lot more research and a lot more startups coming in what I call the preconception phase. So, you know, getting your body ready for pregnancy. We know that, you know, sometimes up to 30% of fertility is un unexplained fertility, uh, where basically doctors just have to give up and say, we don't really know. We don't really know what's going on. We don't really know what, you know, how to help you. It's just kind of this black box of a diagnosis that women get and, and then they don't have any clarity or control over that. And so we're seeing a lot more innovation looking at, um, you know, how can we help people understand how to track their ovulation better that, you know, companies like Prove and Uva who are taking fertility tracking and or ovulation tracking and ovulation confirmation to a whole new level. You've got some amazing wearables that are coming out around cervical fluid tracking with keg and temp drop looking at basal body temperature. So you start to look at this, the, the kind of problem or the challenge much earlier in the cycle before someone gets to you know, IVF that might be a year or two or three years down the line. So I'm most excited about a lot of these kind of preconception innovations that are coming out there. Um, also very excited about what's happening in mental health and fertility. Uh, I think we, we know that 90% of couples who go through fertility treatment experience anxiety and about 60% of couples experience one psychotic symptom or one you know, person in a couple um, related to mental health. And so we're seeing a couple of companies like Alonzo Wellness pop up where they're really focused on actual clinically based um, treatment for kind of mental health and fertility. And then there's some amazing innovation going on in the employer space. And I realize that not everybody has access to fertility care through their employer, but that is our fastest path to, to coverage. And so if we can get more employers to cover fertility benefits, um, faster and at a deeper level, um, then we can provide more care to people. So companies like Carrot and Progeny, um, Kindbody, Gina Bartazzi has gone into the provision of care both at home, digitally, and in clinic. You know, she started Progeny and then realized that actually she wanted to be in the provision of care so that she could control the in-clinic experience. And and now she's working with selling um, employer benefits, you know, actual fertility benefits to direct to employers. That's so amazing. the more people we can. Yeah, the more people can get, get, get covered, I think the, the better off we will be. Well, it's, it's one of the linkages that you made early on, right, in your own journey of, of when your peer group started getting coverage at their tech companies, it suddenly becomes more accessible, therefore it becomes more of a conversation, therefore there's a little bit of a, a flow. I mean, as we start thinking about wrapping up, I'm curious, you mentioned early on, besides that awareness mm -hmm. building, right? You also talked about your journey once you decide you were going to do this, egg freezing, of saying like, well, how do I holistically take care of myself mm -hmm. in the best possible way? I mean, when we're thinking about the health considerations, and I'd really like to talk about like the macro and environmental factors that can impact mm -hmm. fertility. Like, I don't think this is just a, we're all waiting longer conversation because that's not necessarily true, especially in the developing world. And yet we are still having fertility, both male and female issues. What are some of those factors that are, we, we need to be accounting for and we probably need to be correcting for either by reducing things in our world or adding new things? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge, another huge passion point for me. So yes, macro level, we are waiting to later to have children in the developed countries and that then does make it harder. But 
Um, we also aren't taking as good of care of ourselves as we could. So we're waiting later where, and we're not putting ourselves in the best chance as a populace to, um, to actually get pregnant. And, and, and those things I'm talking about diet, lifestyle, and environment, for example, you know, our soil has lost a ton of new natural nutrients. When we look at supplement facts panels and, um, what kind of daily recommendations on supplement levels should be, a lot of those were, came out in 1948 and our, soil is very different, especially in the United States, than it was in 1948. And so we're still looking at these kind of 1948 recommendations for vitamin C and vitamin A and, and a lot of other nutrients, um, which we're just, we're not getting in our diet. You know, we're eating a lot more processed foods. Um, a third of our country and more than 100 million people have diabetes or pre-diabetes. And this is known to impact female and male fertility. I mean, this is not a secret. So, you know, um, diabetes causes hormonal disruptions, which then turns into um, delayed or failed implantation or conception. Um, when your body, when your hormone levels in your body are off, um, then your body starts to believe that it has higher or lower levels of estrogen and starts to kind of naturally correct for those. Um, and then it, it just makes it harder and harder to get, to get pregnant. Um, we know diabetes causes um, poor quality of sperm. Um, we're seeing higher levels of DNA damage, uh, genetic mutations, deletions, prevalence of autism, things like that. Um, and then our just our environment in general. I think, you know, in in Europe, I, I think the stat is something like twelve thousand chemicals are banned for personal care products, home care products, things like that. And I think it's something like thirty are banned in the United States. Yeah. And so we have things in our in our home in our our car, you know, the, our bed that we lay on every night, you know, our lotions that we use, um, that we don't even know, you know, a lot of people don't know are affecting our life. Like um, EWG, the famous environmental working group, uh, they're probably the leading, um, they recently tested the core blood of 10 newborns. And in addition to all these other carcinogens that were in them, they actually found 208 reproductive toxins in newborns that had not, you know, they literally had just been born. Um, and we are starting to see a lot of research coming out about not just the effect on that, on, on that newborn, but actually the effect on that newborn's child. child so later. we, Multi yeah, child generational impacts of, yep, yep. absolutely. Yep. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, I think I, I want to be able to finish, um, and we are at time, but I want to be able to finish on a hopeful, happy, you know, upbeat, positive, and that's what Ovaterra is aiming to do. And I think a lot of you in the in the femtech slash, you know, healthcare space are really trying to solve. What's the what's the one message you would love listeners and viewers to take away from the future of fertility? Yeah, I think we are we are well poised. Uh, we're in good hands. And so I think that even if we are waiting later and even if we do face all of these kind of headwinds, um, there's a lot of really smart people who are focused on solving lots of problems in, in lots of different ways. Um, and I think we're, we're all creating ways for women and couples to be empowered in understanding more about their fertility, having a higher awareness of you know, their fertility and their fertility goals, and then to be ready to act on that when the time is right for them. I love it. Jody uh, Neuhauser of Ovaterra, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have a great day.
And thanks everyone who's watching and listening. Uh, please make sure that you subscribe to Future of XYZ. If you don't already, you can find us on YouTube and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts from Spotify and Amazon to Apple and beyond and visit future-of.xyz to learn more about LVG and co to nominate a guest or to follow us on Future of, of XYZ on Instagram. Thank you. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.